This is episode 9 with Chris Hawker. Welcome to the Capitalize on Your Idea podcast. Helping you take any idea and making it a reality. Here's the man who did it and now teaches it, Justin Escar. What's up, everybody? Uh, super excited about today's episode, my interview with Chris Hawker. Uh, he's the president and founder of Trident Designs. He's a professional inventor. He writes for Entrepreneur Magazine online website. Uh, he does so many things. Great interview, and I'm really excited to bring him to you guys today. Um, you're going to hear today, again, it's a conference call, and I apologize for the audio. We had some technical difficulties, but I wanted to get this out to you guys. Chris does these amazing things. Chris is an inventor, and he helps take uh, ideas and, and make them come to reality. And he has a, a team behind him. But his start was he was, and he'll tell the story, but he was working as, uh, with aquariums, and he needed a new version of this algae scraper, and he came up with his own idea. And this, like I've said a million times, the best place for ideas are in your workplace. Look around, because he wasn't the only person working with aquariums. He knew there was going to be a market, and he was able to build this uh, niche product, and he sold thousands upon thousands of these, and it helped build up his business to do other things. Um, so he gives really good advice on how to solve a problem with an idea and what to do. So without further delay, I want to bring you my interview today with Chris Hawker. What's up, everybody? I'm here today with Chris Hawker, president and founder of Trident Designs, professional inventor, contributor to entrepreneur.com, a man of many talents, Chris how is it going today? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, so you and I have never actually like officially met in person, but um, Lewis Howes from the School of Greatness uh, put us in touch one, with one another, and he said that you would be perfect for people who are in my audience doing the capitalize thing. And why don't you kind of just share a little bit about your story and how you came to be, and then we'll see what happens. All right. Well, um, so I'm an inventor, and I got started inventing as a teenager. I had an aquarium maintenance business where I would set up uh, reef tanks in offices or uh, stores to uh, impress people. And anyway, I started developing my own ideas for improved filtration equipment that I would then fabricate out of acrylic and I put in my client's aquariums and I discovered at that point that I had kind of a knack and a love for problem solving and uh, making things, uh, you know, creating things. And so I uh, kept developing uh, my ideas for aquarium products and then eventually developed an algae scraping uh, tool because I spent a lot of time in aquariums scraping algae, which isn't a very exciting job. And uh, <laughs> the equipment that was available really was awful. I mean, you'd get like a sponge on a stick or you'd like use a razor blade or a credit card and it was really a, a bad situation. And I spent literally like, um, you know, 10, 15 hours a week cleaning algae off of tanks. And so I decided I wanted to create a tool that I could be happy with and be proud of, uh, like, a carpenter was proud of their hammer uh, or whatever tool they had that wasn't a complete piece of junk. So, um, so I, I developed a professional quality algae scraping tool uh, to meet my own needs and then started selling them into the uh, aquarium market. And I thought I'd sell a few thousand a year to other professional aquarium geeks. And we sold like 30,000 of them in the first year. And so wow. I was kind of off the product entrepreneur. I didn't really think of myself as an inventor at that time. I thought of myself as a fish tank uh, entrepreneur and aquarium business. So I uh, started off with an algae scraper and then moved on to more tank products. And at one point, branched to guitar accessories. I played uh, guitar and actually went to guitar build school once upon a time and built some guitars and, and some guitar maintenance equipment and then branched into cooking gadgets and consumer electronics and just kept inventing stuff and finding ways uh, to bring it to market. And 
got very fortunate with that first product, the algae scraper kind of became a, a, a success. Um, and I was able to make a lot of mistakes basically because that one kept producing uh, income for me and, and allowing me to try different things that didn't work um, for the most part. But I kept learning and kept trying more and more products and eventually kind of figured out a, a formula that seems to work pretty well at this point for coming up with ideas and getting them to market. So that's that's kind of my story. Um, yeah, it's been a very interesting adventure to try to figure out how to build a company around invention and being an inventor and helping other inventors. So um, a lot of twists and turns in the story and uh, mistakes, highs and lows. It's a roller coaster, but it's a really interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So, so you know, one of the things I talk about with Apitalize, and I've mentioned this uh, countless times on the podcast, and to everyone that's listening may hear me say this all the time, which is to find an idea, you know, which is obviously the hardest part of Apitalizing, one great place to look is in your job, and you clearly accomplish that by saying, I don't want to have to deal with these crappy algae scrapers, and then you went and you built your own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then, you, mean, you weren't the only you weren't the only algae scraper aquarium maintenance guy that was out there, so you knew there was already a market for people that needed this, right? Right. Yeah, and I I knew I'd sell a few thousand. I was real confident that that would happen, and that would be enough to justify the investment. And to your point exactly, as I deal with inventors all the time, uh, people ask me where do I come up with my ideas, or, or where should they come up for with ideas. And I, I always tell them exactly what you said. Look to your personal experiences. It's your job or your hobby. And that's where 90% of the, the best ideas come from. People trying to invent uh, for other people who aren't, when they're not the customer who needs the product, that's a much riskier game because you're trying to guess what other people want rather than making the thing that you want yourself. Right. And, and I so, fall in trouble. I personally fall in trap to that when we, so we did an app called Black Book and, and I talk about the failures of that because really Black Book was supposed to be a replacement for a piece of software and I didn't use the original piece of software nor would I have used Black Book. Uh, it was a contact management tool that I, I don't need and because mm-hmm. we weren't doing it, we were trying to guess what people wanted and it, it was a really big risk and mm-hmm. I lost a lot of money with it and it was just a utter failure. Right, and and people are usually going after, like, the other because that's a bigger market than some niche. Like, for me to go after the high-end algae-removing market, that was a very niche opportunity. But because it was a niche opportunity, the chance of success was much higher because the audience was captive. I mean, I knew I was making a product that people in my position would be compelled to buy because they had to have it because their other option was garbage. And right. it would really impact their life. And so niches, um, while they may be smaller in overall size, are a lot easier to be successful in because if you can know who the, the person is and you can design exactly for that customer, exactly for their needs, meet their needs so perfectly that it would be impossible for them to say no to the product. Um, whereas if you're trying to make a product for the masses, that's much more of a crapshoot about hitting some almost like magical balance of characteristics that causes your little app to blow up like tiny wings or whatever. Well, that's a good, so let's talk about that for a second, right? So I, you know, I have a couple of apps in the app store and I tell people that Apitalize doesn't necessarily mean make an app, but do you feel that people who are making apps in the app store are going after that general market or do you feel that there's a way to do that niche, like you said, on something like an app store? Yeah, no, I, I think if you make a niche product on an app store that and you you can market directly to that niche who will be eager for that product if you've met their needs, then that's probably the surest way to have success as opposed to going after the sort of lottery approach to winning. I mean, it's, it, it's the exact corollary to the work I do in physical products. So I work with people and also invent myself you know, problem-solving gadgets, consumer products that are going to be on the shelf at stores, but the app store and the app universe is no different. You've got mass market products that you would see at Walmart, and then you've got niche products that you're going to see at specialty retailers. 
And so um, the the niche focus products, they're all in the same store, but when you go to the market, when you're trying to make people aware of the product, it's a lot easier to get their attention if you're going after plumbers with a plumbing product than if you're going after every human being who might want to be entertained with the game. Um, right. So, yeah, I think, I think people who do B2B apps have a lot higher success rate in terms of making money than people playing, they're like, I hope my app takes off and blows up really big, then I can sell it to someone else's game, which is a, a, a much more uh, luck-based game. The luck of getting the magic combination of factors that cause it to blow up. Which is essentially what's happened to any of those big apps that we've seen, like an Angry Birds or Flappy Wings or whatever. They've all been very luck-based. Yeah, which isn't to say, I mean, it was luck-driven just like invention. It was. It's not exactly purely luck. It's not gambling where you're playing the odds. You impact the odds by how you play and how you execute it. But there's also something ineffable to why, like, something rings the bell and something else doesn't. Infomercial products are the perfect example of people playing that same game with physical products. They, about one in ten products that they test, that they actually go to the expense of testing with uh, creating commercial and doing a small test run of about, you know, maybe $10,000 a media to see how the public responds, the, the best people in the world are right one in ten times. And... Um, they know the formula that they're looking for, but even inside that formula, the things that are going to make for good DRTV products, things that are, you know, 1995 with good margin, that are easily a uh, problem solution, easy to demonstrate, appeal to the target audience for infomercials, which is women on, on, from 30 to 60 and blah, blah, blah. So they've got this formula inside of that. There's still like some magical balance that starts with it. So that's, it's, is it luck or is it, um, Skill. It's hard to say, but it's definitely not something super predictable. Otherwise, you know, the people who hit it once would hit it over and over every time. You know. Right. So you're the stuff that you're investing. You're doing a lot more niche products. Well, I, I do both, but I got started in niche products, and niche products are a much lower hanging fruit, and so you can get started there and learn the process with a lower risk, easier to hit market, especially if it's drawing on your personal experience. Now, if your personal experience happens to be with raising a baby, and, you know, babies is a big niche. Um, but it's still a niche if you've got the right solution. And and sometimes people just have uh, great ideas. We recently were involved in a product called the Perfect Bacon Bowl, which we helped do the industrial design for. Which Wait, do I, is, I see the infomercial for that thing. Yeah, we, helped, we did the industrial design on that product. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah. I love me some bacon. And, I know. And uh, everyone <laughs> loves bacon. That product turned into like a humongous hit. It was on David Letterman's show and uh, Arsenio Hall and uh, Jay Leno all oh, wow. joked about it. And they recently um, wrote an article about it in Esquire as the, the bacon bowl is the straw that broke the camel's back and we're officially oversaturated with bacon. So uh, fun, fun thing to be a part of. <laughs> And, you know, we're just a, a very small part of, of a lot of people who are involved in creating a phenomenon like that. But the thing is literally it's sold like 2 million units already in like four no months. No way. Really? Yeah, 2 million. Yeah. Wow. So it's a, it's an unbelievable uh, story. And the people behind it, uh, all-star marketing, are the same people who did Snuggie. And they uh, worked with Edison Nation. Anyway, it's a very interesting collaboration of a bunch of, parties to make something like that happen in such a big way but it was but they test 10 products to get one like that that's insane yeah it's that's an interesting so thing, cool. but it's, a, it's the same phenomenon as angry birds you know why did that one go they they knew what they were doing they made it the play right and then the thing hit and so there's something to like how do you find the, the thing that's going to hit that some people have much more than others you know, how do people, some people spot that better than others is really, I think, like really being in tune with uh, what other people want and being able to separate yourself out from that equation. So some people like really get distracted by what they want and they can't understand the difference between 
themselves and the other and right. constantly are blinded by their own desires. And so that's the skill you need to develop if you want to start inventing for the other is, is that leaving your own ego behind and so you can sort of put yourself in someone else's shoes like really effectively and not in their shoes from your shoes but actually try to imagine being that person, become them for a moment and then think like they think and that's I think how you know at least I try to like find do you think that do you think that being able to be in someone else's shoes or think like anything is that do you think that's a, a teachable skill or do you think that's just something that's inherent in a percentage of the population well I think probably like uh, most things there's some like base level that people might have inherently or as a result of whatever led up to now in their lives and then there's the ability to develop it so I think both, and you can certainly develop that skill of empathy and of dropping your ego away, emotional intelligence, like so many people are caught up in their own heads about what they see in the world, so many interpretations based on their own experience that they're unable to turn off that chatter and see things as they are. And so if you develop sort of emotional intelligence as well as um, practice empathy, and putting yourself in other people's shoes in a non-judgmental way and actually seeing things from their perspective, then you can you can practice that. And the more you practice it, the better you'll get at it. And uh, it's kind of like anthropology. You know, it's like if you're going to go observe other people, like you're watching them in a zoo, or are you going to try to like become part of their society and like, sort of understand it from the inside instead of from the outside. And so um, you can go there and you can certainly develop that in order to improve your ability to innovate and come up with ideas that are going to appeal to more people. And they're appealing to more people because you see opportunities to provide value for them, which is what it comes down to, whether it's with an app or with an invention, it's like how do you deliver value to people and in a way that provide instantly recognizable benefits, right? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what do you, like, when you're when you're come, trying to come up with your next big idea, like, how are you getting out of your, out of your own head and into other people's heads? Like, what would, what's your, do you have a process, like, when you're like, okay, I want to think of something new, and here's, like, a couple steps that I'm going to follow, or is this one of those things where, like, inspiration hits and then you try to do all the work around it before you put yourself in someone else's shoes? Well, it depends. It depends on the scenario. Like, am I trying to find a problem to solve? Like, every invention starts with a problem to solve. So sometimes people come to me and say, here's a problem, solve it. Other times, so that's a different sort of process than if I'm just like, I need to come up with a problem to solve to solve myself. So the latter is like, when I'm inventing my own things, my own stuff, it's always out of my personal experience. Like we're something, and what I've done is I've sort of developed a sensitivity to noticing when something is frustrating to me, like even just a little, I'm like, Oh, that was annoying. And then as soon as I say that to myself, I'm like, Oh, there may be an opportunity there. Is there a better way to do this? Is there a solution that to make this process faster? I just, you know, packed my suitcase and it took 30 minutes. Is there a way I could have made that take 10 minutes? Some clever thing. Um, just looking did you for come up, Did you come up with something for that? Uh, we worked on something. The ten minutes, <laughs> the ten minutes, your case hacker. We did try to come up with something there. It didn't. It didn't fly. But we did actually spend some time on. Was it a butler? Pro- <laughs> hmm? <laughs> was it a butler? It was a butler. I like that. It was, it was a. It was a small butler. It's like a um, little yeah, small butler comes little man. and packs your bag and then he leaves. <laughs> little elf packing elf <laughs> and uh so anyhow so like for me it's like when i get annoyed that's when i see an opportunity if but then like once i found an opportunity whether it was something that i found myself or someone else brought to me and said here's a problem to solve then it's like okay who's the person who's encountering the problem and i sort of just imagine becoming that person and then i try to imagine the ideal scenario and i like to project it into a more idealized future where this the ideal solution exists. So to put that in like a more, uh, paint a picture of that. So let's say it's a a person doing a cooking job. I imagine the person cooking a meal 
10 years in the future where the problem has been solved by the perfect solution. And then I see that kitchen of the future where the person's cooking and I visualize what's in their hand doing the job that they're doing. And then the ideas kind of appear fully formed in the person's hand. I'm not trying to think of it necessarily from like what are the all the little intricacies and building from the ground up, but I'm starting at like what's the solution in their hands and then work backwards into the details of, of what it is. It might be just imagining how the motion of your hands would be in the product, using the product, and like, oh, if it was like that, that would be really magical, and then what could make that possible? So, so it's almost like you're looking at, like, whatever the utopian society is and working backwards from that. Right. The utopian, you know, future where all products have been perfected. Right. Know, nothing ever how do you, how do you stop yourself go, How do you stop yourself from going so far forward that, like, when you're when you're trying to come up with a solution, you stay within the the like the walls of reality there. Well, just because I've uh, worked on so many products, like we brought over seventy products to market in a variety of industries. So, housewares, hardware, consumer electronics, cooking gadgets, pet care products, lots of different varieties made in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've developed a trident, like a, a deep knowledge of what's possible with current manufacturing methods and what you know what what costs what so what's reasonable and accessible so i think one of the things that sets us apart is kind of an innovation company is their pragmatic approach to stuff like we're well aware of what is and isn't possible and so gotcha. as we come up with solutions we're always careful to only invent stuff that's actually possible doesn't mean we don't push the limits or try to think about what could be possible with you know perfect technology nano robots or whatever it is Flying cars and hoverboards, right. and, yeah, and then back off from there. So it's, it's not to say we don't entertain those thoughts, but then, you know, what what part of that can you save and capture, given what's feasible with the, at the price point and with our current technology? Is there some aspect of the flying car that you can bring into your vehicle that that makes it better? And just being willing to go there and explore. And you can entertain a lot of thoughts very quickly, right? Like the human mind is an amazing prototyping machine. So you don't have to prototype everything physically in your app or in your product. You can like run through a million scenarios in your head really fast and try them on and run through kind of, uh, you know, test run just by imagining it. So like another skill that's really helpful for innovators to develop is, is visualizations and, uh, ability to visualize things clearly, not vaguely, like getting detailed in your imagery, actually um, imagining things in three-dimensional space in front of your eyes instead of inside your mind's eye, like where your third eye is or whatever, actually see it, like hold your hand in front of you and see the phone in your hand and see the app on the phone and, and manipulate it or hold the product in your hand and see it and you can sort of like adjust it with your mind and see how it would be different to hold it or interact with it based on different forms and you can run through tons of iterations very quickly and discard them or say, oh, that's worth looking at closer and then you do a drawing. Then you do a sketch. Not sketching everything, but only sketching things that make sense, but going through lots of iterations quickly using the power of your mind. (laughs) What do you do on the weekend? Do you do anything to help clear your mind? Do you do anything like yoga or anything like that or is it... All just really just comes it just comes to you. Um, well, I do do yoga. We actually have a yoga t- instructor who comes to our uh, office every uh, <clears throat> Thursday morning. Does an Ashtanga class. I also do Kundalini yoga, and uh, I practice Tai Chi and Qi Kong regularly every week. And so you're very I in haven't... touch with you're very in touch with your inner self. Yeah, yeah. I am. I spend a lot of time uh, fine-tuning my mind, I guess, for creativity and uh, thinking outside the box. And, you know, the best ideas usually come out of stillness when you're not thinking about anything. And also just um, noticing, you know, the the key skill in being an innovator is noticing, noticing an opportunity, noticing what's missing. And that's what you create. Your invention is 
something that was missing in the world. You came up with an app that was missing. The world needed Instagram, damn it. And it was missing, and then someone invented it, and then immediately the vacuum that was in the world, like, sucked it into hugeness, just like that, boom. And so, like, if you can see, if you can notice what's missing, then you have the opportunity to create. That's what invention is. That's what innovation is, a missing feature or something altogether new. And noticing comes, again, out of not being distracted by endless chatter in your mind or not being sensitive. Like being sensitive is is a helpful feature as well, just general sensitivity to things because you're not distracted by everything uh, in your head. So generally, um, you know, so those types of practices are really good for helping you to have the space and within which to be creative and to see opportunities out there in the world um, as you as you come across them. You're like, oh, I just noticed something. He just did something. You know, you witness someone doing something on the street, some clever solution they came up with for a problem that they jerry. And then you're like, oh, that could be turned into a product, that person. Or someone says some combination of words and the words that they said weren't even the combination that they were saying, but two words came together and created a new word, and you're like, oh, there's an idea for a product. And, you know, just having your awareness constantly out looking for those opportunities because you never know when they're going to come. You just cultivate constant paying attention to what's happening around you so that you can notice when those opportunities occur. And at any given moment, there's a thought you could think something you could notice in the ether that you could take action on that has you a billionaire two years from now, right? If you if you only knew what it was and only had enough clarity to see it. I don't see it, but, you know, I see some stuff. <laughs> well, but obviously nothing. you've seen some stuff. I mean, you have some – I mean, you have great products that are out there. Um, one of your big ones is the uh, the Squid Power Cable. Um, yeah, you know, you're selling that like in – the power squid, right, yeah, yeah, that you're selling in Walmart. I mean, so you've obviously had this ability for a while to to see and and, and get people to um, to focus on these ideas and be sensitive to where these problems are to, to invent whatever it is that's going to be invented. Yeah, well, I got started young and then discovered early on that this is my inventing and product development, so I... How how old were you when you did the how old were you when you did the algae scraper? Uh, I was twenty two. Twenty two. So that's an attachment that anybody can do this. I mean, we've seen there's a there's I don't remember exactly what the app is. And I'm sure someone will leave a comment telling me that I should remember this, but there's a, a 15 year old programmer who was at South by Southwest Venture Venture last year, and he coming up with some app and he's 15 and he did a presentation on it. I mean, his dad was there doing most of the work, but like you can start at any age to come up with an idea and, and make it, make it come all the way through. Yeah. I mean, I was my aquarium filters. I was 16 when I was doing those and, uh, you know, just it's, how'd you go about building that? So man, it's like, how, how did you at 22, which I don't. I'm, I'm not sure how old you are now, so I'm going to say it was a, a little while back. But uh, 39. 39. Okay, so so 17 years ago. So 17 years ago, you came up with this idea. The internet was not what the internet is. Um, so how did you build this? Um, well, I had a cousin who had an injection molding company, and he taught me about injection molding plastic. And I found uh, there's something called the Thomas Register, which is now ThomasNet. Uh, com, but it used to be like a set of encyclopedias that was a list of manufacturers of various sorts. Now it's just it like a huge yellow pages of like 20 volumes, and I looked up people who made rods and did research on rods by calling up company after company and asking questions until I found the right type of rod and the right company, and then I found handles and you know, did the process. And, and it took me 18 months because I didn't know what I was doing back then, and uh, Technology was a lot different, but I just figured it out by calling people. And, you know, I had uh, gumption, you know, and supportive. It goes a, it goes a long way. <laughs> family, yeah. So, um, so I guess one thing I should touch on for your 
for your listeners here is uh, is licensing because licensing is how I've made most of my money as an inventor. And just to touch on that briefly, because it's a possibility for anyone with an idea. And so create passive income by taking that idea and building value around it and then licensing the idea to a manufacturer. And so um, you can you don't have to develop the, the idea completely. You can have an idea for, let's say, an improved cheese grater, and then you can get a prototype made, a nice working prototype, and a nice presentation presenting the, the thing, and then ideally get a patent pending on it, which you can file a provisional patent yourself and get patent pending, and then you can license it to a company and get royalties, typically like 5% of the wholesale sales. And like Power Squid product, which I licensed, generated over a million dollars in royalties over a, a five-year period. So, oh, awesome. um, so you can make real money off of an investment that you know, for an invention to do development and prototyping and patenting and all that. Um, you know, it might be between like ten and twenty-five thousand dollars. If we're not getting into like sophisticated electronics, but most problem solver gadgets, and they can easily generate, you know, that much per year in royalty income. Some of them do less, and some of them do a lot more, all depending on the idea and execution. But it's a uh, it's an opportunity that people may not know about. It's relatively uh, accessible to people, and that's exciting and potentially lucrative. Now it's still high risk. Invention is high risk high-reward investment because there are things you can't control. But right. um, but you can control how you execute it, and the way you execute it can dramatically impact your chance of choosing the right idea. Investing can dramatically impact your chance of success. Um, but if you have it, it's it's really cool, and it's, it's like having a successful app. It's anonymous fame. Your product is out there in people's homes. I walk into people's houses all the time and see the onion goggles or see power squid or some of the other things that we've had come out and, and uh, or see them hanging on shelves at stores. And so that's a really cool thing for me. At least I, I, I get off on it. And so, um, and that's also an opportunity for me to make money. If the product's hanging on a shelf at a store, anyone buys it and then I get, you know, a quarter or 50 cents or whatever. And that adds up. That adds up. Especially, especially when you're not, if you're if you're just the let's the idea creator, you're not even taking most of the risk. You're you're offsetting a lot of that that work to somebody else. Let them do the risk with the and pay for the storage and the manufacturing, whatever it is. And a quarter is better than zero. So at least you're making something, and you have the potential of making, you know, a lot of money this way. Yeah, and your risk and there's some risk, but you know it's not an ridiculous amount and it's uh and it's fun too it's like an interesting thing to do with your time and if it's successful it's, it's great so i mean i recommend people to consider it uh that's what trident does is we help people with ideas turn their ideas into products and get license we also offer a suite of development services um, we got 10 industrial designers so mostly around product development we also do like video and graphic design and branding to help like wrap the product up in order to um, present them for licensing. And then we have a whole commercialization arm that does a licensing. We have licensing agents with, and we've got like lots of connections that we've developed over the years. And we also have sourcing agents where we can get stuff manufacturers, kind of like a turnkey solution for people with ideas who want to bring them out to market uh, through licensing or starting a company. Um, we also do like uh, crowdfunding services to help people set up crowdfunding campaigns. So it's a real interesting business because we like literally we work on orthopedic surgical devices with a group of surgeons. We work on uh, drinking games. We work on sex toys. So there's really a dynamic uh, environment of like lots of interesting stuff to work on. And being an inventor is like just a really sexy way to invest your money. And it's a fun process to go through. It's very similar to making apps except you're dealing with physical things, tangible things that you can hold and play around with. The world's also starting to meld with the growth of accessories, people inventing you know, products that have apps, uh, 
my brother is actually doing a thing called Twine. It's like at twine.it. Twine it is like this a photo studio booth that my company designed the physical booth, but then it works with an app on an iPad for a photo booth. And so, and then like there's all the health tracking devices that people do. So those are all accessories that kind of bridge the gap between uh, the product. The guy on Kickstarter a little paper airplane attachment where you can control the airplane with your phone with a little propeller you attach to a paper. So I just, uh, the fascinating places the world is going. So again, it's like how do you predict what's coming next and out in front of that curve and innovate something that can help capture some of that excitement. And, you know, again, it's like instead of standing where we're at now and trying to look towards the future, at, you know, what's possible. It's like you put yourself in the future and you look at the past. You're like, what happened in 2015 that became this big product of 2015 standing in 2020? You know, it was the Bluetooth, blah, blah, blah. And That's a really interesting way. Of, it's a really interesting way of, of looking at it. To Because to, so many people want to say like, oh, what's the next big thing? And really it's, if there was a next big thing, what what did it change now that caused it to be the next big thing? And that's kind of like a much different answer than trying to guess what the next big thing is. Right. And so I want to, I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit. Oh, sorry. Continue. I'm sorry. Well, it just leads, it's a different question. So it leads to different answers. Okay. It's not to say that it's going to yield the right answer, but the thing is to keep asking different questions so you keep getting different answers. Just don't keep asking the same question over and over again. That's what people do. That's the secret to being an innovator is keep shifting your question. Keep shifting your question. And what's the am I peeling vegetables or am I getting on you know, vegetables without skin on them? Like am I creating a vegetable peeler or am I creating naked potatoes? Right. And then it's that's a really interesting yeah, it's really awesome. You were going to ask something? Yeah, so I wanted to lead this into the next part of things that you I was, we wanted to talk to you about was, was innovation. And everyone who listens to podcasts knows that I have, a, I have a real big thing about innovation, and I always say the same thing over and over again, which is because uh, when people come to me, they go, I have this great idea for an app, and I usually say, don't make apps because apps aren't innovation, and that in three years, doctors will see more broken index fingers from people like, you know, getting mad at their phone or whatever and, and slamming on their on their screens and stuff like that. Um, and then I talk, you know, I said, and again, uh, people who are listening, I've heard this a million times, that about the, uh, the smartphone market, that I, I think there's no innovation in the smartphone market because Apple revolutionized the smartphone market, and ever since then, it's always just been like, ours is this plus this, and then this, plus this. And it's like, that's not innovation. We need a, we need whatever the next the next world of smartphones, whatever that's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So what's, what's, how do we think about innovation? How do we, how do we, as human beings, come up with what would be an innovative idea versus, um, versus a, a, plus on top of somebody's idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the question you asked, I mean, I guess if I was to, like, put it in the way I talk about it usually is, like, what you're talking about is incremental improvement versus, like, a you know, something fundamentally new. Though right. even the, smart, the smartphone was the culmination of a bunch of things adding up, but it was, like, a, a matter of degrees became a, a change in state. Like, it went from a water to steam. Um you, you know, one degree warmer, but then suddenly it changed state to something else. And then we had smartphones, and everyone starts incrementally improving the smartphone. But the new smartphones aren't new inventions; they're improvements. And to me, when I say innovation, it's really another word just for improvement. And so, you know, we keep innovating things, we keep making them better, adding and innovation increases value. Meaning you're getting more for your money. But Overall, your like the dollar value density increases in the products over time, and that's what drives innovation. But then, like, how do we create the next big thing? And people are looking for that all over to create the next platform. People are going to incrementally improve. So right now, I think what we're seeing as the next big thing that people are like, well, maybe it's this, and it's wearable technology, right? So that's 
it's not a new thing every time. It's just the idea of the original iPhone getting better and better and better and better and that happening from now. And um, but it's not that exciting because what are they going to do? All they can do is add, make it faster, make the screen better, and add a couple features. Then what's wearable technology going to take us? Is the next question what's going to become the platform? there that then people like really dig into. I've got Google Glass I've been playing around with lately and mm-hmm. it's got a lot of potential. But currently it's like I don't wear it hardly ever. Like I use it here and there and mostly for novelty's sake. Um not because it's something that I want to have on me. So is that it? I don't know. You know, but it's interesting and it's certainly great for like filming your kid without having to hold something in your hands. Um but I guess <clears throat> it's asking more of those questions about, like, what's going to change humanity. And I, I guess the angle that I think also needs to come into play that's getting a little bit of attention, but that hasn't gotten tons of attention yet, is emotional technology. Like, how do we bring technology out of the devices and into the world, not just in a functional way, but in order to enhance human connections? instead of uh, diverging them. So asking that question will lead to some, I think, interesting answers as we head into the future of, like, what's what's the next thing that's really going to make a big impact post-smartphone? And, uh, you know, maybe it's something to do with emotion. If my computer, if my computer falls in love with me, that's it. We're done. <laughs> if my computer acts like the one from her, right. no, I'm done. <laughs> But if your wife is in Japan and you're in, you know, Ohio, I'm in Ohio, and, like, how do you stay connected so that you don't feel disconnected over long periods of time in space? And right. is there a way to keep that connection in a meaningful way? Or even in our daily lives, you see your wife but like, or your children or your family, how do we use the technology to enhance our emotional connection rather than to enhance our separation, which is what it often does now. And so I think we'll see more and more action around how do we answer that question is, is that problem becomes more and more prevalent of people. Like you see the, you know, the family room where uh, everyone on the, in the room is on their phones instead of talking to each other. I mean, I've been there many times myself. So, right, right, right. You know, so it's like, what's going on there? Is that a bad thing? You know, isn't the question, but people are definitely going to start addressing the situation more and more. Yeah. Wow. It's some good stuff. Heavy, but it's good. I like it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I, what I do all the time is I think about uh, how things come to be, why they are the way they are, how they could be, rather than how they are, and, you know, how we create paradigms that lead to things being the way that they should be rather than the way they are. And then looking out at the world and seeing how all those pieces play together and then trying to figure out a way to turn that into uh, products that people care about. So that's awesome. That's, that's what it's all about. It's in the end, creating products that people love by getting in touch with like what's possible and what people want and need. And what I love about what you just said, in the end, it's about making products that people love. And you didn't say, in the end, it's all about making money, because it's not always about the money. The money is good, and it's helpful, but the reality of it is um, you should be making products that people want and people love, and you should be doing it for the people, not necessarily for the for the greens. Right. Well, I'm, my strong uh, opinion is that money is the measure, you know, that's how you measure the scale of your impact. Um, but like you have to be chasing after that impact and then it'll be reflected in how much money you make. If you're chasing after money instead of after impact, then you're creating products without integrity and they're unlikely to deliver you the success you wanted anyway. But even if they do, wouldn't it have been better to do something that you loved and with integrity? So, and I love what I do. I have the coolest job on the planet getting to be an inventor, getting to figure out how to make money with ideas and help other people do that and turn, you know, a, a whim that someone had as they were walking through the grocery store one day 
uh, into a product that you know now making them a hundred thousand dollars a year because something occurred to them in passing and they happened to know someone who knew someone who knew me and we had a system and then that guy today is able to make money off of an invention hot dog slicer it's a wiener dog that cuts hot dogs into little tiny bits so your kids don't choke on them and you know what a cool opportunity to like create a system that enabled that guy to do that at a relatively low risk and so it's just it's a uh, it's such a simple thing i think that's one of the biggest things that people are always looking for again like we said like the next big thing in reality like you make something simple like a hot dog slicer that's an idea that could have come in passing to almost a thousand and one people and everyone passed up on it and then this guy was pursued it and now is making good money you know right. licensing and, and 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 he gets to see his product in the stores and stuff like that that's that's amazing right plus like 20 years from now kids growing up will be like when i grow up when i grow up when i think back on my childhood i think about like a snoopy snow cone machine when kids today grow up they'll be thinking about the hot dog spicer they'll be like remember that wiener dog that grandma had <laughs> well let's hope that's let's hope that's true chris thanks so much for being here uh where can people find you online uh, so my company is Trident Design. We're at trident-design.com. I also blog at inventorsmind.com and have a um, article regular on uh, entrepreneur.com. So um, I tweet at Inventor Chris, and we're on Facebook and all the normal places. And if you have anyone an idea for a product. We offer free uh, consultations, so you can call us and talk to us about your idea, and we can give you some advice on what you may or may not want to do with that idea, whether or not it's an economic opportunity for you. So um, we'd be happy to hear from any of you. That's and awesome. Thanks for having me on the show, Justin. It's been a pleasure yeah, to be here. Wow, great stuff from Chris. You know, a couple things he had mentioned during the phone call that I really want to bring up with people is every invention is, is solving a problem. That's, that's what your goal is when you're inventing something. You're just, you're not inventing for the, for the heck of it. You're inventing because you're trying to solve a problem. And I love that, that example he gives where he thinks about the person who's, who's going to be cooking in the future. And he brings it back to now to figure out what is it that we're going to need now to get us there. It's a great mindset to have. It's a great way of thinking things. And the other thing he mentioned that I really like is that the mind is the best way to prototype. You know, in our minds, we have we have the ability to bend time and space and we can bend reality to what we need it to do. And, and that's a great way of thinking about where a button should be or how a thing should feel or what something should look like or should be upside down or vertical or left, right, whatever it is. And you can do that on your mind for free and then start putting it down on paper or start getting it made and start prototyping and stuff like that. So great stuff from Chris. I really want to thank him for being here. Guys. Thanks so much for being a part of the Appitalized Network. Um, I love all the tweets and the and the reviews are coming in. They're wonderful. And thank you very much for that. And as always, if you need anything, find me at justinescar.com. Listen to the uh, the rest of the podcast episodes. Follow me on the, on the Twitter. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Have a good one. This episode of the Appitalize on Your Idea podcast is brought to you by Watchman Monitoring. Know before it's too late with Watchman Monitoring. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at www.watchmanmonitoring.com slash Appitalize.